And um, one of those things is that oftentimes what we may perceive or see as a negative really is not. It's an invitation from God to look at life or circumstances a different way. And so uh, such is the case today when um, got a notification last night that uh, we, we were not going to be able to have a worship team this morning. Um, everything's fine, but needless to say, it was at the last minute. And so, you know, I sort of immediately, my first thought, unfortunately, still, but I'm learning, I'm learning, was to, you know, think, okay, well, let's see. Interestingly enough, I didn't panic, which is kind of what I might have normally done in that situation. I was like, well, okay, you know, we've got an alternative. We'll just do the video thing. And when I woke up this morning, I just, I knew that wasn't the thing to do. And so God was sort of just helping me see something. And what I want to do today is to praise God in a different way, right? Because that's really what worship is about. We come in here and we praise God. And somehow or another, right or wrong, the traditional church has gotten us to believe that the only way we can do that is with music and singing, okay? Which is not, totally not true. Um, just read the book of Psalms, if you don't believe me. Uh, so you can take my word for it. Um, and so what we're going to do now is we're going to praise God through what he has done and we're going in hearing about what he has done. <coughs> and specifically, as you will see on the screen, what he did yesterday at the Ashland Strawberry Fair. Um, now, <coughs> most of you know, or at least hopefully you did know, that we had a booth at the Strawberry Fair. And unlike years past when we handed out water, which was a perfectly good Christian thing to do, um, we just, we sort of stopped doing that for a while because we didn't really feel like it was having all that much of an impact. I mean, yes, it was blessing people, which is always a good thing, but was it really having any kind of an impact for the kingdom? And so I came across um, this prayer station, and so we purchased one for the church. And it turned out that this was the first time that we've used this. And so our sole focus at the Strawberry Fair yesterday was simply to pray for people. Um, we prayed for a lot of different people, including this one. <laughs> this is Mark. Mark is a pirate. Um, <laughs> He was roaming around the Strawberry Fair, you know, kind of throughout the day. I can't imagine how hot he must have been. I mean, it was a very nice day, but he had that big wig on and a hat and the whole get up and stuff. And so it just was sort of interesting. And uh, he was really a good pirate. I mean, he had the whole voice thing. And, I, you know, Rich and I were talking. It's like either he sounds like that naturally or he's going to have a really sore throat today. But he even told jokes. So let me, I'll share one with you. So. What's a pirate's favorite letter? Oh. Nope, it's the C. <laughs> <laughs> See, it was actually a funny pirate. And so I immediately started thinking, oh, you know what? We could do prayer pirates next year. We could all dress up like pirates <laughs> and have a prayer station. No? Okay. 
So, all right, so no, no to the prayer pirates. <laughs> Fine. Um, and so here's another shot that I took. Here is um, some of our prayer warriors standing out in front of our, our prayer booth. And, you know, what was kind of disturbing, and I shouldn't say disturbing necessarily, but I guess um, unfortunate or um, sad, perhaps, was that I would say with a couple of exceptions, two, maybe three, nobody came up for prayer. Nobody actually, with those few exceptions, did not actually come to our station and say, hey, I could use prayer. We, we had a couple, but that was it. So by and large, we learned that we had to almost jump in front of people <laughs> as they were walking by and uh, we, we didn't dare ask them, would you like prayer? Because their immediate answer was no, in most cases. So we learned that if we said, what can I pray for you for today? That was much more effective. Uh, then at least they had to think about an answer. In many cases, oh no, I'm all prayed up, <laughs> would come out. Um, the other thing I want to draw your attention to this picture is something I'm actually kind of proud of. I don't know, you, maybe you can't tell because it's a little bit small. There are four men standing in front of our prayer booth. I'm not sure that many of you understand how significant that is in the world of church today. Because, now we did have many women, and I don't want to shortchange them at all, uh, that came and prayed, and hopefully you'll hear from a couple of them here in a moment. But the fact that it's just a fact that in, in many respects, women run the church today. M women are the one, not necessarily this one, but church big C. Women are the ones that typically are, are, um, have taken the mantle from men and are the ones who, you know, do most of the work. And so, and especially in an area like prayer, praying for people. And so that's why I think it's significant. Just so if you can't tell from, I guess, left to right, it's Ray, and then John, and then Travis, and then my friend Milt Burton, uh, who really wanted to be a part of this today, and, uh, and so he came and, and did that with us for several hours. Yeah, and Rich was there as well. And like I said, we had, had many women there, Shelly and Harry and um, Lindsay and... Donna and Ruth and Sally. <laughs> Hadn't looked back to the left, dear. Just calm down. Um, so anyway, what I want to do now, and this is kind of where the, the, the praising God part comes in, is I would like to offer the opportunity for anybody who was there praying for people yesterday to share a little bit about what God did in their time of prayer. It could be in total, just an overall impression. It could be with one specific person. Um, I'll start. Um, I had a lady that, that um, I think it was one of the ones I jumped in front of. Um, I'm kind of hard to avoid <laughs> <laughs> when I do that, so they sort of have to stop. Um, and I said hi, and she was very friendly and said hi. And I said, what can I pray for you for today? And just immediately, she completely broke down, almost sobbing. She was crying. 
she couldn't even enunciate really what it was she needed prayer for. Um, but it was just obvious that there was something or some things weighing very heavily on her in her life or whatever. And so we just kind of prayed that, you know, whatever was going on that was behind those tears, that God would intervene and, uh, and would, would come in and bring the kingdom to bear on those things. And so that's the kind of power that, that we have to touch lives. It's exactly a demonstration, and you'll hear others, of what I'm going to talk about today, which is faith without works is dead. We've got to go out and do what we read about, okay? So we'll get into that more in a moment. Uh, but first, is there anybody else that would like to share uh, about their experiences yesterday? Okay, Ruth, let me get you on a microphone. Do we have a mic that's working? On the floor. Thank you. I'm actually going to speak for my um, Sockham friend. She goes to Winds Baptist Church. I don't really know how she found Harmony, but she's in our class, um, the Holy Spirit class. And um, I saw her last night. I said, how did it go? Because I was there early and she came later. She said, Ruth, it's, it was the happiest experience I've had in my faith for a long, long time. Hmm. Yeah. Anybody else would like to share? Rich, come on. First of all, it was really an out-of-the-box experience for me. It's not something I'm used to doing at all. So it was, in that regard, a lot of fun. But the couple points that came to my mind as Jeff was asking the question were that, yeah, there were some people that you jumped in front of and you got, yeah, I'm okay, and other people that gave you answers and things to pray for. But there were a few people there that just bared their heart to you. There was one woman who was a cancer survivor and whose mother had just died a couple months ago, and she was asking for prayer. There was another woman that came forward, and, that came up and just said, uh, you know, pray for me and my daughter, you know, her teenage daughter. She was just having problems with her. So it, it, was, it was not just that people accepted the offer for prayer, but that they offered up things that were important to them. And it would be so in disingenuous of us to not take that so seriously and pray for them earnestly. And that was really just so amazing to me that people would just open up to things that were troubling them, like the woman that you spoke of. It, it mm. was not, that was not a unique circumstance. I mean, neither one of these women, women wept, but they were emotionally involved in a request for prayer. Thank you. Harry? We'll say this while Harry's coming forward. Um, the African-American community puts the Caucasian community to shame when it comes to this particular issue because I don't believe there was one African-American or black person that I asked if they, if they would like prayer that said no. They almost always said, oh yeah, absolutely as is, was not the case, most of the whites that walked by were like, oh no, I'm fine, I'm all prayed up, I prayed this morning. <laughs> and as John pointed out, it's like, well then they, they know of God, but they don't really know God. 
most of the day I was pretty much a dud. I didn't feel that well. But God will always bless you if you show up in some way. And this one lady came up for prayer. She was a grandmother. She was beat up eight years old. And she asked for prayer. She's the second time. She asked for prayer for her two-year-old grandson who was severely, severely autistic. And when she was talking, her eyes were flashing and black. And you could just tell she was really humble in heart. And so I... Did y'all hear all that? Yes. Okay. So um, I told her that I would uh, get our small group to pray for this little boy. His name is Riley. So if you all would just join me in a short prayer for Riley hmm. right now, we'll just take care of that. So Lord, we lift this little boy up to you and we ask for complete healing. We know that your heart for him is far and above what he's experiencing now. So just touch him right now, Lord Jesus, and those that are around him with your precious touch in Jesus' name. The other thing that I found really touching is that a lady came up and prayed for us from another church. And that was awesome. And there are also a lot of fun things that happened. I got to pet a Burmese mountain dog. Big dog. <laughs> so they, they were, they were so receptive. And this one black guy, big, hey, Scooby, he said, uh, oh, I prayed up this morning. I said, oh, well, then you can pray for me. <laughs> so, so he was so willing. And he says, what did he pray for? I said, oh, my shoulders are tense. He, he laid hands on me. Yeah, you know, uh, we fellowshiped, you know. And I came back and said, uh, Pastor, I'm off script. <laughs> Anyone else? Travis, come on. Well, I'm kind of more of an introverted person, so like that whole experience was pretty crazy for me. But um, the thing that got me about it was how turned off to God people are. Like they just walked right by, like didn't, you know, wouldn't even like acknowledge that you said anything to them most of the time. But um, there's this one guy that came up. I was standing there and John and I were just talking and um, he comes up and comes up to us and says, well, y'all can pray for me. I was like, okay, well, you know, what do you need prayer for? And he said, for the doctors to find out what's wrong with me. He said he had dropped like 60-some pounds, like overnight kind of deal, and just felt like he was dying. So, you know, John and I both put put an arm on each shoulder and both prayed for him. And it's like the whole thing, that one experience is what made doing it worth it. But just appreciate yeah. letting me be a part of it. Oh, Absolutely. <clears throat> Anyone else? Okay. Oh, John's coming? Then? Yeah, and <clears throat> I will say this too. I was, I, I was not only proud for the number of men that were there, I was so proud that so many um, who doing, for doing this was so far out of their comfort zone, yet they kind of stepped past that and actually engaged with people it just it was so cool to see that um, and so I really applaud those because I mean honestly this is not comfortable really I think for most people this is a little bit hard to do but I think what we all discovered was 
You do it once, it gets a whole lot easier to do it a second time. And you do it twice, and it's a whole, whole lot easier to do it a third time. And so it just kind of went on from there. So, John? Just an observation. <coughs> um, they say we're a post-Christian nation now, and that's not what I saw. I didn't see anyone, or no one told me they didn't believe in God. No one rejected me for standing out and asking if they needed prayer. But what I did find is the bolder I was, the more people responded with the desire for prayer. You know, the Bible does say be bold. And I think we really need to hear that and really need to do it. There were times when I was sort of timid and asking people if they wanted prayer and they kind of looked at me and smiled and sort of like, yeah, you're a nice guy, just go off and move away and they kept going. There are times when I was more bold in the way I asked it. And most of that time, people responded positively. Sometimes they didn't want prayer, but they would tell me they had prayed or they told me th things of that nature. But it seemed to be the bolder I was, the more they responded positively to the request for prayer. Um, the other thing is, a number of people came by, looked at the prayer station, and said what a gift it was to the community and how much they liked that we were doing. Mm -hmm. One person came up and said, you can do this in Virginia? You can, <laughs> you can have prayer in public in Virginia? I mean, <clears throat> what's that state say to the state of the church? We're, we're, we tend to be very timid and you know, stay inward focused in our little groups. We really need to get out there and show people that we are proud of being followers of Christ. We need not to be timid about this. The prouder we are, the more we stand out, the more we do this, the more we're gonna influence other people and bring them into the kingdom. Thank you. While Lindsay's coming up, I will say I did <clears throat> ask one lady if she would like prayer. She said, no, I'm an atheist, and walked away. And the smart aleck in me rose up, and I really wanted to say, well, we could pray for that. <laughs> but I restrained myself. The first thing that stuck out at me was how many people said they didn't need prayer, I'm good. And I just, it just made me think, you know, God forbid I ever get to that place mm. where I think I'm, I'm all good. Um, and then I'm definitely more of a small group or background intercessor, so completely out of my comfort zone. But I felt, I felt the Lord say at one point, well, then sit in the back and intercede for the front. So I did, and I prayed that God would bring the people up who needed it. And then I, I felt I needed to pray for a light burden, the light yoke, because I was feeling like it was really forcing so I sat back, interceded, and then I felt just as natural as can be, time to get up. So I just got up, and it was like the Holy Spirit took over my mouth, and this woman was walking by, and, do you need prayer? And she said, yes, and she and I think uh, Sandra was with me, hmm. but she was uh, started crying and said that her um, sister had just been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, and she was church hunting, and she said, She's very interested in coming. I think she's going to try to come next week. But um, she said she had just moved by herself from Kansas. And I was like, I know exactly how that feels because I moved by myself from the West three years ago. So that was really, really cool how God just aligned that. And yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Anybody else? 
Um, sure. So I had told Jeff several weeks ago that I wasn't able to participate in the Strawberry Fair because I had committed to hosting um, birthday parties, or a birthday party for Ariana and Amaya, happy birthday girls, um, at the house. Um, but what's, what I wanted to talk about was in the conversations with some of the mothers, one of the mothers um, was talking about that her and her family had just, they're, they're sort of church searching, so to speak. And I got to brag on what our church does, what it's about, and what they were doing yesterday at the Strawberry Fair. And, and that we had set up this prayer station. And she was just, I mean, her eyes got really big. Um, and so I just wanted to share that testimony that, that I was able to brag on you guys and what you were doing, um, that we were being the hands and feet of Christ. Mm. So just wanted to share that. Yeah. You want to just share from back there? Okay. No, it's, it's a very good point. And that's why, you know, that <coughs> it, it brings up an important thing just to mention, when, you know, in terms of doing this. Because, you know, while we did see some things that were happening as we prayed for people yesterday, um, we really don't know ultimately what the effect of those prayers were in the lives of the people we prayed for. Because some of those things might manifest days, weeks, even months, or e years from now. And so... Um, Mr. Mumo is exactly right that, uh, you know, it's not about instantaneously receiving whatever God, you know, has in that moment. Sometimes, uh, as we've talked about before, God can answer prayers, you know, yes, no, not now. And then, of course, my fourth category, which is, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, <laughs> so all of this... Yeah. So, oh, John. Sure. Yes, I was just going to share about the, the whole issue of results. Um, one, one of the things that I have learned, let's go back a little bit. Remember the Lord says to some of the kings of Israel who were tyrants no better word to put it and yet god says i would have destroyed you but for my servant david's sake 
In other words, God was saying, because of David's obedience, I'm going to allow you to stay. Generations later, and so we don't know in our obedience just to the Holy Spirit. It, it doesn't matter about the results that we see. We're sowing into the generations, our generations, my generation, your generations, down the, down the track. And so because, you know, I've learned in looking at my, my heritage, I, I have learned that... Um, you know how we talk about the curses uh, visited three and four gener generations? But do we ever talk about calling in the blessings of the ten generations that preceded us? Because they're there. Even though they've fallen to the ground and not been used, we have the authority to call them just as me, what much we have the authority to break the curse of the four generations. Mm. And so we don't know the results of our one moment of obedience what it is going to do for our generations ahead because that's what we're building the generations ahead mm. thank you uh, oh my gosh <laughs> i know <laughs> um so i would like to just offer a quick prayer so if you'll bow your heads with me Oh, God, I just want to thank you for the beautiful day you gave us yesterday. It was just incredible to be there in the sunshine. We had um, the opportunity to sow seeds. And I'm listening to John talk um, and Mr. Mumal talk, and that's absolutely right. I just feel like we sowed so many seeds yesterday, and that's what you've asked us to do, Lord. And I hope that um, it brings about a boldness for those who were there, but also for all of you who are here today, that you're encouraged to pray for people and sow seeds. This nation needs it. In Jesus' name, thank you. So, bottom line to all this is that we praise and we worship God today because the kingdom came to Ashland yesterday. The kingdom came to the strawberry fair yesterday. Um, <clears throat> and so just we give him thanks and praise for that. And uh, by all means, if you have knowledge of any other event or place that we could utilize our prayer station, let me know. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great tool. Uh, we commented on the fact that you could easily see it a block away. Yeah. I mean, it just was very visible. Um, and uh, normally if we are not, it actually sits up higher than that, but we had to kind of cut it down temporarily uh, to fit under our tent. But um, so anyway, and, and some of you may remember, but there was one of these where this really kind of got uh, some notoriety was, there was one of these set up about two blocks away from uh, the World where the World Trade Centers collapsed um, in 2001. And uh, they prayed, uh, it was they were there every day, and they prayed largely for the people that were working uh, to uh, sift through all of the rubble and the wreckage and all of the, um, all the carnage that they were exposed to and finding and so forth. So, um, 
So anyway, that's sort of, this is, it's a product of, yeah, just keep going. There you go. You missed it. There you go. <laughs> I think I'm getting dizzy. Um, so anyway, it, it actually is a tool uh, that is uh, uh, provided by YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission. And so that's sort of where it came from. Um, so with that said, before we go any further, let's take out our connection cards. And if you are a, uh, a visitor with us, we would really encourage you just to fill this out. Uh, we'd love to be able to stay in touch with you, um, really just by email. As I've said many times, we are not going to come over and show up at your house um, to say hi, unless we're invited. Uh, but we would love to send you emails and just kind of keep you um, up to speed with what's going on in the church. If you are a member, just your name and then any information that may have changed uh, would be sufficient. If you, you know, it's your first time here, second time here, we would love to hear about that and how you found us. On the back, <coughs> there's some next steps that you can choose to take. Um, oh, by the way, the kids can be dismissed to go uh, to Sunday school. Uh, and then there are uh, some information. If you would like some information, you can uh, check that. We'll be happy to send that to you. And then finally, since we've been talking about prayer, we have prayer requests. And we do pray for these multiple times during the week. And so uh, fill that out. We will send that out uh, to the uh, body of the church. If it is something that you would prefer to keep private, you can check the little circle at the top that says keep private. And we will uh, honor that request. So take a moment, fill that out, and we will uh, proceed with our service uh, momentarily. my breath it's a heavy weight upon my chest as a lie awake and wonder what the future will hold help me to remember that you're in control you're my courage when i worry in the dead of night you're my strength cause i strong enough to win this fight you are greater than the battle raging in my mind i will trust you lord i will fear no more i will lift my eyes i will lift my cares lay them in your hands i'll leave them
Let's put a picture up so you get a visual. Every year from around the world, a whole bunch of people head to Pamplona, Spain uh, to take part in this absolutely insane <laughs> event called ru the Running of the Bulls. Uh, if you read The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway, he sort of uh, really popularized this particular event. And it's, uh, it's basically a, a nine-day party. Um, with some extreme sports <laughs> sort of intermixed between all of the partying. Um, but it draws hundreds of thousands of people. I think the city of Pamplona almost doubles in size during this festival because it's a city of about 300,000 that several more hundred thousand come to every year. Uh, the downside of it is that since records started to be kept back in 1911, there have been 15 people killed. Uh, during this particular event, during the running of the bulls. I guess the most recent one was about 10 years ago um, when a Spanish man was gored and ultimately died. Now, um, Bill Hillman is a man, he's a Chicago-based journalist, and he is considered an expert on the event. In fact, he co-authored a book uh, titled Fiesta, How to Survive the Bulls of Pamplona. But on July, <laughs> but on July 3rd, 2014, just knowing about bull running, even though even knowing enough to write a survival manual, wasn't enough. And it was on that day that a 1,320-pound fighting bull named Bravito lagged behind the pack just before entering the city's bull ring at the end of the uh, annual run and gored Mr. Hillman in the right thigh, and also gored a uh, Spanish man in the chest. Now, both men did survive, thankfully, but the co-author of uh, Bill Hillman's book told the New York Times, we, probably, uh, we will probably need to update the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading that article and I'm thinking, all right, did the guy actually read his own book? Um, or more likely, did he know what to do and just didn't do it? And according to James, such is the case with faith. So you can read the Bible and you, know, you can know what a person of faith is supposed to do. But unless you act on what you read, knowing it is worthless. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, for your word. And I just pray today that uh, I would be an effective communicator of its, uh, of its truth. So, Father, just bless this time. Bless the words that I will speak and the ears and hearts that will hear. Touch all of us and let us not leave here the same as when we came. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's see uh, with a little more detail what exactly James had to say uh, about this whole issue of words and works. So, let's start at verse 14. We're looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, all right? So, James starts out by saying, well, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works. Can that faith save him? Well, both of these are, these are rhetorical questions, obviously, that James is asking, and he's really expecting a negative answer here, right? Um, now, there's three features of these questions that are sort of important to, to really note. First of all, they are accepting that whoever is reading this has a claim to faith, but they don't expect or assume that the claim that this person is making actually represents saving faith. So um, if there are no deeds in this person's life, then it makes their claim highly suspicious, if not outright wrong, according to James. Second, the topic is not faith in general, but a specific kind of faith, that is one that doesn't have any deeds behind it. The question that he's asking is, can a faith without deeds save the lost? The answer to that question is no. A verbal testimony alone is not an adequate evidence that true saving faith is present. Only works of obedience can prove the presence of genuine faith. And verse 15 provides an example of such deeds. And um, third here, the word save is basically referring to acquittal at the final judgment. So this is different than having the faith that actually, that you believe in Jesus. And so, in other words, you could sort of paraphrase this by saying, well, what type of faith can guarantee a favorable verdict in the final judgment? Okay, so that's different. Only a faith that produces works can provide security in the final judgment, right? So, you know, really when you think about it, it's only reasonable that our profession of Christianity would demand some kind of a test. I mean, look at all the things that get tested in our life. Um, if you want to drive an automobile or a truck or really any kind of vehicle at all, you've got to pass both a written test and then a skills test as well. If you want to practice law, uh, if you want to be an accountant, if you want to be a doctor or nurse or a lot of other professions, you have to take a test that says that you are proficient in that particular craft. If you're a student in just about any institution around, you have to demonstrate your knowledge by taking an exam. And so for the followers of Jesus, that test is a production of works, right? Without works to demonstrate that faith is present, our claim becomes completely false. We can't really say that we have faith if there is no works behind that faith. All right, verse 15. Here we're going to get into kind of a parable. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Okay, so this is illustrating the person that has that, the type of faith that can't save you, all right? You're, you, the, the picture here is someone who doesn't have enough food or enough clothing, okay? And so, verse 16 is kind of assuming that the person that's approaching them is a believer, okay? They claim to have faith, and yet they go to these needy people, and all they do is offer them good wishes without any practical help behind it. All right, so you know, it's not to say that sympathy isn't valuable. It is valuable if that's all you have to give. But we are to sort of interpret, I think, from this verse that the speaker had the ability 
to feed the hungry and to clothe the needy, and yet that's all they offered was sympathy. And so we have 1 John 3.18, which gives us uh, the proper response, very similar to James, which is, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And so James concludes his illustration just by kind of wondering aloud, well, what good is faith that can only produce pious wishes but gives no practical help? So then to verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here we have sort of the conclusion to the story. Good wishes consisting of mere talk are empty of all reality and are lifeless. Um, it's kind of ridiculous to offer good wishes to someone who's cold and hungry and tell them, gee, I hope you're not cold and hungry soon when you actually have the ability to do something about it where you can actually offer practical help to the person. And, and basically he's saying that, that faith in Jesus ought to produce actions revealing the nature and the character of Jesus. That's what we're called to do, right? We're called to reflect the Jesus that is in us. And so if you have a faith that just lies still, that's inactive, it just proves that it's dead. Because true faith brings salvation and life, not death. All right? And so we need to show works of love as a means of proving that our faith is real. So when Paul warns that a person could not be saved by works, what he's referring to is uh, obedience to the Jewish law. Okay, so when he says that, that's really what he's talking about. Um, when James calls for deeds, he is not suggesting that it's those deeds that result in our salvation. Okay? He was calling for Christians to do what a living faith should naturally do, which is to show care and concern for the people who need it the most. You have um, a lot of different scriptures that show how Christians and churches have taken action with meeting needs. Uh, multiple verses in Acts, there's some verses in Romans, verse in Timothy, as well as many others. Okay? And so it was this type of action, of faith in action, that's what caused the early church to grow. It made it distinctive from all the other faiths. And so it's the same today. And I mean, we saw it yesterday. The people that who show a loving, caring interest in others is what makes us as visible representatives of Jesus stand out amongst the crowd. There was one lady that walked by our booth yesterday that said, this is the best booth at the fair. <laughs> now, you know, I, I know her opinion was not shared by most of the fairgoers. Um, probably the strawberry shortcake may have been. But nonetheless, she understood the importance of what we were doing, right? Okay, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is moving on to kind of a new stage of the argument at this point and he's bringing in another voice. 
problem is this is where it gets very confusing. Because if you read this, it, it honestly is hard to understand, okay, what is, who's saying what here? And um, the biggest problem we have in this is that when things were written in Greek, there was zero punctuation. So you have no idea where a sentence starts or stops or pauses or anything at all like that. So all the punctuation you see in your Bible today was added by somebody else where they thought it ought to be, okay? So, um, you've got to decide for yourselves. Now, there's basically three possibilities as to what this is saying. And I want to spend a little time on this because I think it's important because, like I said, I've read this before. And I'm like, what? Because it's like all of a sudden, it's who's this person that's saying they have faith and works who then now seems to be questioning James? But I'm not sure that's the way it works. So, three, possi three possibilities. First, the person is an ally of James, okay? And he's carrying on James's argument by throwing more doubt on the reality of the faith of the person who has been mentioned previously, okay? The person who has faith but no works, okay? There is an advantage to this interpretation in that it uses all of the pronouns consistently throughout, you know, the argument. Um, you is always the person who claims to have faith, um, but has no works, and I is always either James or this ally that is speaking for him. Um, there's a problem, however, and it's probably a greater problem or a greater objection than the positive side of what I just said. And the problem is that the way these, the, the initial Greek words, but someone will say, or, um, are used, when those words are used in many other places in Greek literature where they're written, um, it's never in, a, in the same way as it is here. It's always uh, introducing a viewpoint that is different from what was said before, okay? Whereas here, you have to jump that hurdle and say that they're saying that they're agreeing with what was said before, okay? So that's the biggest problem, and that's why most scholars reject this as, a, as the right interpretation. Second interpretation is that the person who's speaking is an objector who's casting doubt on the reality of James' faith. Um, the problem with that is it's, it's an even more strained interpretation where you have to really make some conclusions that the text can't support in order to come to that conclusion. And so really, um, it's kind of a process of elimination thing because those first two um, things there's so many problems with them. There's so many difficulties in trying to make them sound right um, that the best approach is probably this third one, and that is that um, the you and the I don't really refer to specific parties. They're just refer. They're distinguishing between two individuals having a conversation, and so this other person would be the one who is objecting to James' argument. And, and really where, he, where this seems to be going is, it's taking this idea uh, that Paul uses in both Romans and in Corinthians about faith being a gift, okay? One of the spiritual gifts, right? And so um, what he seems to be saying is, well, some people have a gift of faith and some sort of have a gift of works. Um, and, you know, does, does that mean, or should that mean that maybe somebody can't have both of those things, right? Because they're, they're interpreting it as being separate gifts. 
And, um, and so if that's the case, then how in the world can James demand that everybody have this? Right? If the Spirit gives to whomever as he pleases. And um, the response that James makes is that's a wrong interpretation. That um, these are not special gifts that a Christian may or may not have. It's not an option. If you're a Christian, you have to, you have, to have faith and you have to have works to prove that your faith is sincere and viable, okay? Now, admittedly, this view isn't perfect either, so you are welcome to try it yourself <laughs> and see what you come up with. Uh, I'd love to hear your own interpretations, but because this has, has probably fewer difficulties than the other two, it's generally sort of accepted as the way uh, this is probably being uh, spoken of. All right. All right, uh, 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So verse 19 is really speaking to this person who claims to have faith but lacks works, okay? And so that kind of person just merely gives like an intellectual assent to this whole idea of monotheism. And this is going back to a creed, a basic creed of Judaism, which is shown to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, uh, that there is one God. And so what James is really saying is that this, this statement that is being made is intellectually true, but it doesn't go far enough, right? A person has got to believe in God to be a Christian, but not everyone who acknowledges the existence of God has made a commitment to Jesus. Now, there's another interesting theory of what James could be saying here, uh, that there might even be a more subtle point that he's making in the last half of this verse. He says that even the demon's faith results in some outward response. They shudder. And so perhaps James is making the point that people who just simply voice the opinion that there is one God without showing any reverence or fear for that God are put to shame by the demons who at least shudder at the thought of God. It's an interesting way to look at it. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So really, what I take away from this verse here is that James is sort of appealing to us to become learners. Right? You could rephrase this question as, are you willing to be taught that a barren faith is worthless, right? Uh, not much more to talk about there, so let's go to 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. 
Now, it, James is selecting Abraham, and oddly enough, Rahab, who we're going to see, shows up here in, in the next verse, uh, as examples of people who showed genuine faith by their deeds. Uh, and so their examples really stand in complete contrast. You have Abraham, who's an ancestor, both Jew and Gentile, right? And so he provides this sterling example of faith, uh, and Hebrews mentions uh, Abraham's faith. Then, on the other side of the coin, you have Rahab, who was a Gentile prostitute. Um, but yet, even though that was the, her sort of defining characteristic, she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus that's given in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And so they come from radically different backgrounds, but yet both of them demonstrated the reality of the faith that they had. And so the, verse 21 is sort of picking up this Old Testament incident that's probably familiar, I would say, to, to almost everybody, where Abraham is called by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, that he's fathered at the age of 100, right? And he's been barren their whole lives, and so he's got this child finally, and God is saying, I want you to take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. You know, and so if you have children especially since it's Father's Day, <laughs> it's kind of difficult to imagine doing that. And yet, verse 22 tells us two things about Abraham's faith. First of all, his faith and his actions were working together. Right? It was his faith that prompted him to be obedient to what God was telling him to do. And secondly, it was his faith that made him complete by what he did, right? His obedience to what God was telling him to do demonstrates just how his faith was, uh, how, how great the integrity of his faith was. Now, we're not saying that before this, Abraham had a weak faith, but it was his willingness to sacrifice Isaac that vividly demonstrates just how strong his faith was. And then verse 23 tells us that really what's happening is that Abraham's willingness to do this, to offer Isaac up, fulfills a promise that was made in Genesis 15, 6. And so that's where God had already declared Abraham to be a righteous man. Okay? Uh, and it was a matter of grace at that point. And then Later, when this incident happens, Abraham is now demonstrating. So it's almost like God was prophetically speaking into Abraham's life, and that prophetic word is fulfilled at the point that he decides to uh, have the faith to sacrifice his son. And so because Abraham was obedient, then God draws Abraham into this close fellowship with him. And he actually calls him a friend of God at that point. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now this deed is not claiming that God justifies people just because of what we do. All right, I want to be clear on that. Rather, the Bible's insisting that saving faith, remember we're talking about end of times judgment sort of faith, not belief in God sort of faith. Saving faith must show itself by a visible commitment to the Lord and a compassion for other people. And so, faith alone will bring salvation to anybody. 
right? And again, I want to be clear about that. We're, not, we're talking about two different things here. But saving faith does not come alone. It has to be accompanied by works. Because it's only by works that it shows how genuine our faith really is. 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So this is a story from Joshua. And uh, Rahab had received these uh, into her home some Israelites that Joshua had sent ahead to spy on the city of Jericho. And so she hides them and she protects them from the people that were trying to catch them. Um, and she really sacrifices quite a bit here because if she had been caught, she would easily have been put to death uh, because she was betraying you know, the leaders and rulers of the city. Uh, and so in Joshua, it makes it clear that Rahab's faith in Israel's God was what caused her to do this thing. And then sort of wrap this up. Verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works dead. So we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that God forms the first human being by doing what? By breathing into his body. And so this union of spirit and body produce a living human being. And then what happens when somebody dies? Well, their spirit leaves, goes back up to heaven, we presume, um, and then the body decays ultimately into the dust that it was created from in the first place. And so we know that a body um, without the spirit is essentially a corpse. And it's the same with faith. If you, if you are a person who claims to have faith but you lack works, y your faith is as spiritually lifeless as a corpse. An inactive faith entombed in a creed that's simply just affirmed by your intellect, right? You say the right things, but you don't really believe them, and you certainly don't put them into action. It has no more usefulness than a body with no heartbeat. And so James didn't intend to belittle correct doctrinal views. That's important. But he's demanding that there is a practical holiness that's got to be there as evidence of our faith. And so ultimately, it comes down to this. It's good works that signify the presence of true faith. Okay? That's what James is saying here. So, why is that? What is he telling us sort of ultimately about that? And I think two points here, really. First one we've kind of said this over and over, and that is that words without works are useless. See, words can be all kinds of different things. Words can be eloquent. Words can be passionate. Words can be stirring. Words can be visionary, casting a vision for something. But words by themselves really can accomplish very little. Winston Churchill's uh, We Shall Fight on the Beaches address that he made to the uh, British House of Commons was a very eloquent address. 
But unless the British people continued to physically and financially support uh, the war against Germany, his words were meaningless. Eloquent, but meaningless. Ronald Reagan spoke passionately at the, at the Brandenburg Gate, calling upon General Secretary Gorbachev uh, to remove the Berlin Wall. But it wasn't until 1989 when Berliners began to tear down this wall that his words became a reality. John F. Kennedy's inauguration address was very stirring. But until those who hear it actually began to act on his words to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, America would remain a nation full of people who expect the government to take care of their every need. Martin Luther King cast a compelling vision for a racially equal America in his I Have a Dream speech. But until people's behavior reflects the reality that all men are created equal, racism continues to persist. And Jesus of Nazareth gave perhaps the most influential speech in human history, known as the Sermon on the Mount. But it is nothing more than a collection of red letters on a page unless its teaching is put into practice. The point is that you can announce your faith in a very eloquent manner. You can proclaim your faith quite passionately. You can give a stirring presentation of what your faith means to you. You can cast a vision for what faith in God can accomplish. But what you think about faith and what you say about faith is worthless unless you can tangibly demonstrate your faith. I am by no means a great cook, but I make a really, really good spaghetti sauce. Now, if you were to imagine that this was the recipe for my sauce, how many of you would like to taste it? The recipe. Well, nobody would. Because unless somebody actually makes the recipe, it's nothing but words on a note card. It's the same with faith. Your words of faith are useless without your works of faith. And then secondly, what you do proves what you believe. See, some of, some of you have heard me mention something that a friend of mine named Pete once told me. This is a long time ago. If you don't remember, I will share it with you again. Because my friend Pete said that you don't need to go around telling everyone you're a Christian, just make sure they're not surprised when they find out. <laughs> I'd like to share with you a story about how one man put that saying into practice. In 1972, a young Egyptian businessman named Farahat lost an $11,000 watch. He was stunned when a garbage man dressed in filthy rags found it and returned it to him. Farahat asked him 
why he didn't just keep the watch. The garbage man said, my Christ told me to be honest until death. Farahat later told a reporter, I didn't know Christ at the time, but I told the garbage man that I saw Christ in him. I told him, because of what you have done and your great example, I will worship the Christ that you are worshiping. Farahat then began to study the Bible and grow in his faith. Two years later, he visited the garbage man's village outside of Cairo, where between 15 and 30,000 people were living in squalor and poverty. There was no electricity or running water. Alcohol, drugs, and gambling were pervasive. Men, women, and children sifted through huge mountains of garbage looking for something of value that could be sold for cash or traded for food. Farahat found himself reflecting on the words of Jesus, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He also remembered the words of Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.13. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. It was soon thereafter that Farahat and his wife began ministering to the people's spiritual and material needs. They preached the gospel throughout Egypt, and thousands of people turned to Christ. In 1978, Farahat was ordained by the Coptic Orthodox Church and became known as Father Sama'an. Now about 10,000 believers meet in a large cave outside the garbage village. That's a big cave. It's the largest church of believers in the Middle East. In May of 2005, a day of prayer was held for Muslims to turn to Christ. More than 20,000 Arab Christians gathered. The event was also broadcast on Christian satellite TV, where millions of people watched. All this because one garbage man chose to humbly return of watch, a watch that would have made him the richest man in town. He chose to let his good works prove what he believed. So here's what I want you to not only think about, but put into action. What works can you do to help Harmony Vineyard stand out as a visible representative of Jesus Christ? It's exactly what we did yesterday. And I'm not saying that to brag or pat myself or anybody who was there on the back. The people that came there yesterday gave up some or a huge part of their Saturday to just come pray for people. That's called faith in action. That's called faith with works. That's called what we're called to do. And so, I really want you to give that some thought. Is your faith really alive? It's easy to tell. What are you doing to advance the kingdom?
And if you're not doing anything or you haven't done anything recently or you're taking a break, that's all right. Just commit to starting to do something today. What can you do today? What could you do tomorrow to show yourself and ultimately your church and your Jesus for who they are? Amen? Amen. Well, as we kind of move into our uh, the third part of our service, I, I would like to do something today. We um, Today, we are having a graduation ceremony for all of the uh, folks who have gone through our School of Kingdom Ministry class over these past, I don't know what, eight or nine months, something like that. Uh, and so actually I would like for them to come up here and they are going to be your ministry team today for this last part of our service. So um, Ruth and Michael and well Rich is gone. Jeremy and Melissa, if you guys would all come up. First, I want to recognize you guys. These guys have put in, putting in, um, and we have a couple of others. Rich uh, Tichter is, uh, has been through the class. Um, who am I missing? Patty Clark has been here. Um, so these folks have been through a uh, you know, through eight, th eight to nine months worth of study and video teaching and activations where they have uh, learned a lot about how to minister in the Holy Spirit and about themselves and their identities and all sorts of things. And so, uh, first of all, I want to just applaud. Have you guys applaud for them because that's a commitment. Sandra Murphy was also one who is not here today, but who uh, went through the class as well. Um, and so uh, sort of as we go through, uh, go into this ministry time, um, if you have a prayer need, if you have um, any sort of a need, if you guys get any kind of a word for somebody, uh, this is the time to share it. Uh, and so we're just going to pray, turn the lights off, and uh, if you want to stick around and be uh, and kind of see what God has for you through the, with the rest of this service. We would invite you to do that if you need to leave. Um, please don't forget the reception we have for our graduates across the hall. Um, so I'm just going to pray and then we'll offer a dismissal and we'll kind of continue on from there. So Father God, I just I thank you for the boldness that James displayed in this letter. Too often today, I think we, we want to mince words. You know, we want to, you know, just kind of coddle people and ease them into something. Well, that's not <laughs> what uh, our brother James did. He was very direct and very bold, and he says, if you're not doing something that shows that your faith is real, it's not. And so, Father, I just pray that that would truly impact us. That that is the, the one thing that we take home with us today is that good works prove that our faith is real. Otherwise, according to James, 
It's not only not real, it's dead. And so, Father, just, just cement that idea, that teaching. Bury it deep in our hearts that we might do more to prove that our faith is real, to prove our love for Jesus, to build his kingdom and his church. So, Father, we just ask you to come now. Let your spirit come. Fill this place to overflowing. We bless all those who are here today. Bless them as they go out from this place into the world. And I pray that each and every person has an opportunity to demonstrate their faith and advance the kingdom in this coming week. And we give you all praise for that, Lord God. We ask a, a special blessing upon all of the fathers who are here today. Thank you for the sacrifice that they make for their children, for the love that they give. Even for all of the things that they don't say. <laughs> so just bless them, Lord. Let them spend this day basking in the love of their Heavenly Father. So I give you thanks and praise, Lord God. Lift this all up to you now. Ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, did not have a chance to take communion just remind you that it's still here and if you would like to partake uh, you, you may <laughs>